Okay, welcome back everybody. We'll uh, take the afternoon to continue to explore the theme around good friendship, the whole of the path. I'll refer back to the discourse that I uh, read this morning to begin the the morning and uh, with the Buddha talking about the, the whole of the holy life is good friendship, good companionship, good comradeship. What the Buddha says, when, a, uh, when one has a good friend, a good companion, a good comrade, it is to be expected that he'll develop and cultivate the Noble Eightfold Path. So that's a, a good way to, it's a good rider on it, a good way to, to consider and reflect what that, what that means. But then also, when the Buddha talks of how, how does one cultivate a, a noble eightfold path, uh, then the Buddha also gives a kind of parameters uh, so that each aspect of the path, right view, right intention, right speech, through to right concentration, uh, each quality uh, or each factor uh, is developed uh, based upon based upon seclusion, based upon dispassion, based upon cessation, maturing and release. For those people who've been studying Buddhism for a while, you start noticing that there's stock phrases that come out. And of course, Noble Eightfold Path is kind of a stock set of teachings. This set of qualities, seclusion, dispassion, cessation, maturing and release, is also it's a set of stock qualities that the Buddha uh, encourages in, in when one's developing the practice in different ways and different aspects of the practice. So that in this, in this case, uh, the Buddha is pointing to uh, the, the different factors uh, of the Eightfold Path, um, basing uh, that development, basing that practice on these particular qualities. And uh, I think they're really helpful for everybody. It's not just uh, for uh, uh, monastics. It's very much concerned with the, everybody who's, who's practicing, everybody who wants to bring this path of practice that leads to the ending of suffering, ending of discontent, dissatisfaction. Uh, these are qualities which, which help to facilitate that and to support that. So when the Buddha speaks of seclusion, I mean there's the physical seclusion of being in a being in a quiet place and uh, and that's of course very helpful. We're doing the day long at spirit rock. Uh, this is this is a place of seclusion. It's a, a place of uh, uh, it doesn't mean by being by oneself but it's sort of being buffered by uh, from external, accessing external impingement. Yeah, we're, we're not, uh, the day long isn't being held on Market Street. I mean, this is, you know, you, it's, it has, it, or if it were, it would have a different effect. <laughs> it would feel different. <laughs> so that uh, uh, the sense of seclusion, and paying attention to the external environment is part of seclusion because it it affects us there's uh, just that inevitable uh, nature of sense sensory impingement 
uh, it has an effect. You know, we, we can hold it in many different ways, uh, which we have to learn to do, um, but uh, we also have to recognize that on an ideal level we can be completely equanimous with all sensory contact. I mean, that's a nice ideal, but the reality is that it affects us. So that uh, we do need to be attentive to conditions that we practice in, that we live in, because it has an effect. Uh, so the external solitude. There's also a, a solitude of mind. Um, in the scriptural language, the word for solitude is viveka, and so like jitta viveka, the solitude of the mind. And for those people who, there might be some people here who are familiar with the uh, group of uh, Ajahn Chah students in, in England, actually those people who are just on Ajahn Sujito's retreat, and some people are here, his monastery is Jitta Viveka. That's the name of the monastery, and because uh, they started in London, and uh, uh, they spent um, Ajahn Sumedho and the other monks who were there, uh, they, they had a little place, little townhouse uh, in Hampstead, northern, north London, uh, right on a busy street, uh, all sorts of people coming and going all the time. Uh, it was not a place of physical solitude. Uh, but it was also something that Ajahn Sumedho, who was the senior monk and leading the community, there, he had a, a, a strong insight that um, the, say, gone were the days of relying on physical solitude if you're, if you're in London and in England. And uh, so that uh, uh, he started doing a lot of teaching to the community around the solitude of the mind, just learning how to pay attention to the difference between the external contact and the internal reaction. And that internally, we can have a a quality of solitude without uh, having to control our environment that much. Because sometimes it's out of one's control. Uh, And probably the most well-known kind of quote of, of uh, uh, Ajahn Chah's about that, uh, that our teacher, because uh, he went to England and, and that was a <coughs> uh, kind of a, 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 a strong feeling amongst some of the uh, the, both the monks and the lay people, you know, this place is just really noisy. It's busy. It's what, you know, what are we? And it was right across from a pub. It was, <laughs> wasn't you know? It wasn't just sort of bird song that was, <laughs> that was was impinging, and uh, was, you know, what do we do when when sounds come to disturb us in in our practice in our meditation? And Ajahn Chah's response immediately is, sounds don't come to disturb you. You're going and disturbing the sound. <laughs> and that's, that's jitta viveka. You know, sort of the, 
yeah, there is a, a tendency of the mind to react, but then you can also, if you're, if you're attentive and you're skillful, yeah, don't go out and argue with the, the sense contact. Don't go out and argue. It's like, like, uh, it's like living in a forest like this. Uh, you don't try and, uh, you know, you sort of analyze and, and, and uh, ponder on, you know, why are some of the trees crooked? Why are some of the trees straight? <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's, that's fruitless. Um, but we spend a lot of time, why is that person like that? Why should, they should be like this. You know? And same thing. <laughs> but we can invest a lot of energy in, in that. So that, that, that sense of the jitta viveka, the, the solitude of the mind that's not going out and, and disturbing the, the events and circumstances and conditions around it. So this cultivation of, of, of solitude, of seclusion, um, the uh, <coughs> quality of, of dispassion, um, it's a, uh, that sense of, uh, again, uh, you know, the mind gets stirred up and excited and it gets drawn into it, it sees something that it, it likes, it desires, it wants, and the passion sort of goes out to it and it entangles us in it and we get swept up by it. So that this, the, the word, the, the word is oftentimes translated as well as fading away. I think, uh, um, I think Bhikkhu Bodhi or, or, uh, uh, Tanisaro, I can't remember, um, in this translation, it's translated as dispassion. But in different translators, because it can be read those two different ways, so that quality of fading away, a sense of settling, of and so that and that's also dispassion. So that so long as one is not kind of leaping up and entangling oneself with something, the response will fade away. It's just the nature of 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 everything. It arises, it ceases, and, and we we tend to keep poking it and stirring it up. Uh, so that uh, that's uh, the opposite of dispassion. So that that sense of uh, letting things settle, being content with letting things settle, uh, a sense of fading away, and of course that's a great support for the. This cultivation of all these different factors of the of the eightfold path, the sense of uh, cessation of um, there's a a very strong experience of peace that can be tapped into when we're when we do allow things to cease and to settle, um, which is, uh, I read a statistic um, that nowadays the average length of, say, s- silence in a conversation uh, is about three seconds. <laughs> so that, 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 yeah, so as a conversation ceases, 
and and people are uncomfortable. And got to say something, interject something, ask something, do something, do something, anything other than let it, it cease. So that I mean, that's a that's a really good, which doesn't mean you have to be silent all the time, but it's sort of like being comfortable with cessation, letting things settle. And the same with our, because we do this, it's not that we just carry on conversations with other people or engage with in socially. We've got this endless conversation with ourselves. (laughs) And it's sort of like, no, like, will you just shut up once in a while? (laughs) So that, that being, allowing that to cease and, and, and paying attention to the, the, there's a, a real peace and uh, ability to start to tap into something very spacious when we do allow things to cease. So that the cessation of, of uh, that external movement, the cessation of uh, thoughts and feelings, uh, again, it's not, you're not trying to annihilate them or stop them, push them away. But it's like in being aware of the appropriate time to to think, to engage, but then also allowing that cessation to be natural. And you realize it's, it's, there's a strong uh, avenue to be able to tap into to tap into something very peaceful and clear when we we become comfortable. With cessation, so that uh, those factors of the path—the right view, right intention, uh, right speech, right all through to right right concentration—experimenting uh, with these these different qualities, uh, that sense, uh, you know, seclusion, dispassion, cessation, maturing in release. The 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 translate. It's a, it's a bit difficult to translate this word. But this maturing and release is what it's it's implying uh, uh, in the word that the that the Buddha uses is a relinquishing of the sense of I and self uh, that I and me and mine driven uh, feeling of, of 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 self and when we uh, and that's the release. Say the release from you know, the the tyranny of self, <laughs> and uh, and that's uh, of course that's incredibly uh, peaceful and the uh, uh, sense of of well being and and freedom that comes from that uh, is is wonderful. So that that maturing and release, that being able to release that sense of of I that is is uh, you know which obviously you know isn't. A uh, uh, just on an I, 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 idealistic or theoretical level, uh, it isn't that all of a sudden you do everything from the third person, um, and which I mean you meet people sometimes who, uh, or I do, and <laughs> that are come to monasteries, come to come to practice, and you know they either you know write their letters asking to come, and it's all. Uh, it's all in the third person, and, and uh, or they come and speak of 
yeah, come and speak in the third person and sort of know the as a uh, practicing Buddhist, uh, there is a uh, uh, there's a conventional necessity of actually having a uh, a functioning eye, and, but it's the it's that um, tendency to um, yeah to obsess to use that as the anchor for our all of our reference point uh, and. Uh, the the releasing of that is where where the peace is. So that the whole the, this cultivation of the path is uh, 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 predicated on this this uh, 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 these particular qualities. I think they're really helpful for you know whether one's engaging in in actions and speech or one's sitting in meditation trying to cultivate mindfulness just the sense of bringing up those qualities for uh, a recollection of seclusion of uh, of dispassion of 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 cessation of of that uh, that relinquishing relinquishing of 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 the i position that i me and mine um, so that uh, uh, those, uh, when the Buddha talks of those, of those qualities, uh, then those are those are the fruit. That's a really helpful way of, of cultivation of the path. And we we're talking about about the path. Um, one of the uh, <coughs> there's a short discourse. Uh, in the uh, in the connected discourses, uh, uh, section forty-five, Sutta number forty-nine, and uh, the Buddha actually says, "This is the forerunner and precursor of the rising of the sun. That is the dawn. So too, bhikkhus, for one, for a bhikkhu, this is the forerunner and precursor for the arising of the noble eightfold path. That is." Good friendship. Uh, it's a, uh, when, a, when a bhikkhu has a good friend, it is to be expected that he will develop and cultivate this noble eightfold path. And how does a bhikkhu who has a good friend develop and cultivate the noble eightfold path? Here bhikkhus, the bhikkhu develops right view, which is based on seclusion, dispassion, and cessation, maturing and release. And of course, going through all of those uh, uh, factors of the path. It is in this way, because that a bhikkhu who has a good friend develops and cultivates the noble eightfold path. So just a reiteration uh, of that uh, quality is to shrunk that down into a, basically a paragraph in, in that discourse. And Buddha reiterating that. And the uh, when when we talk about the the eightfold path as a uh, a path of practice um, one of the things that um, bothered me for years and years was the uh, just the way it's tra- it's written and translated yeah right view right intention right speech right uh, and so on right concentration and uh, uh 
and I think to a, a greater or lesser degree, we probably all do all do this similar thing in the sense of uh, it says we got to get it right, so we obsess over how to get it right, um, and and then of course we assume we probably didn't get it right, so that means we got it wrong, uh, which is even worse. <laughs> Uh, so that that uh, you know, but the the way that the uh, that the Buddha sp- speaks of it, um, that word right, that's that's translated in the scriptural language. Uh, I mean, it means right, but the roots of the word are in musical theory, so that it's like right in tune or just right you know so that it actually harmonizes it works together it 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 it, it blends it merges uh, and uh, um, you know for for uh, um, you know i think of of uh, uh, say like at the monastery where we have Chanting uh, as a part of the daily routine, and and uh, there, because uh, sometimes you think, well, if I get it right, I got really to put effort into it and really do it, and and uh, uh, but uh, uh, you know, one of the the deadliest things of when we have say like chanting is having somebody who is energetic, enthusiastic, but's not in tune. <laughs> It's a real killer. <laughs> so that, and it's and the same thing happens in our own practice. Uh, so that 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 you know, our own practice, we have to. So when we think in terms of oh, you know, this practice of the path, uh, practice of these different factors, uh, it's, it's paying attention to uh, its harmonizing how does it work together how does it how does it blend how, is it in tune are they in tune with each other uh, how do we tune in uh, to to those different factors so that they can be uh, they can work together because uh, they don't necessarily have to be they don't all have to be perfect as if there were some some kind of actual um, verification of what we're right anyway, but they, uh, but they, they just need to work together, um, and uh, so that, that I've always found that really helpful, really useful in in when when you know, from that perspective, because then we can start you start working with the, these different path factors, and. Uh, one of the uh, uh, images that my teacher Ajahn Chah uh, used um, uh, was uh, actually from the the first uh, time that he went to England, and uh, uh, in England you've got a lot of rather than having stoplights, you've got a lot of roundabouts, uh, these traffic circles. And uh, 
And after, after some time of seeing this, he says, this is just like the Eightfold Path. <laughs> You've got these traffic circles. You just, they're, they're, they, they feed into each other. You can, they keep going. There isn't as if it's just a, a straight line. Uh, if you've got everything li- right and it's just, everything's in a straight line, uh, it's just these traffic circles and go round and around concentric circles, and, and so that that uh, that sense of the uh, of the path being being something that that uh, uh, is is not necessarily just a, uh, you know, a straight linear thing, but is a. Uh, is, it's, you tune into it. It feeds into each other. The different factors work together. Uh, so learning how to pay attention to that. And that's the, uh, uh, the these aspects of uh, when, when, the, uh, when it's spoken of, of the different, say like the Eightfold Path is talked about in the different kinds of trainings. It's like the Training in virtue, a training in meditation, a training in discernment. Uh, these trainings work together. Uh, uh, that the, the this eightfold path uh, is a uh, 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 they they kind of fit under these aspects of training, and it isn't as if uh, yeah you you have to get one aspect done, and you can go on to the next, but they, they support and encourage each other. They, so there's a sense of, of uh, the, the path, and the, one of the things that, that is, of course, uh, important, uh, essential, uh, is paying attention to, to the aspect of of, of right view, in the sense of you know, what the view, perspective, um, uh, the right framework, maybe. There are lots of ways that one could, could uh, consider that. But that when the Buddha speaks of right view, uh, most often, and in, and in particular for uh, the uh, you know freedom from freedom from suffering. Uh, it's actually looking at things from the perspective of experience. Uh, it's that experience of uh, of suffering or discontent, dissatisfaction, uh, disease, uh, and then. Uh, Paying attention to what, what's its cause? Where does it come from? Uh, how did this come to be? What's its, what's its cessation? Where is its ending? What to do with this? And of course, the the cultivation of the past. So it's like framing it, framing our experience from the uh, the realm of experience, um, uh, as opposed to I should be doing something or. Uh, if I were a good Buddhist, I should be practicing like this. Um, it's it's more like the Buddha is trying to get us to look at experience, uh, so that that sets us on a um, right at the beginning of the of the path. Uh, that puts us in a appropriate place 
uh, to begin begin practice. And that that uh, one time, uh, Ajahn Chah, my, my teacher, was was asked uh, how he could have so many um, foreigners or Westerners as as his students, um, because uh, he didn't um, he didn't speak English uh, or any foreign language, uh, and of course when we got there, we certainly didn't speak Thai, and uh, and he. He, he said, well, he said, it, it's not that difficult. Because, he said, because language doesn't, doesn't actually point you to the Dhamma. That uh, it's like, um, and he picked up a glass with just some warm water in it. And uh, he said, then, because I, if you're, uh, you use the Thai language, and you say, Nam Lon. And then, but the reality is that even where, where Ajahn Chah taught and trained, they didn't even speak Thai. It was a Lao language. It was Nam Hon. And then he said, and then if it's English, it's hot water. If it's French, it's something else. If it's Chinese, it's something else. And he said, you can use all that language and you, you might not understand at all what it is. He said, but all you need to do is stick your finger in, and you'll know what hot water is. Yeah. He said, the Dhamma is similar. This is, it's about experience. It's about understanding the, the experience of, of suffering and the experience of the ending of suffering. And of course, this is the Buddha so often uh, uh, reiterating and, and emphasizing, I teach two things, suffering and the end of suffering. It comes up in the discourses over and over and over again. And, and that's your basic foundation for right view. So it's that being willing to come back to, uh, to experience. And of course, as an experience, what do we prefer? We don't, if we have the option, we don't choose suffering. We choose ending of suffering. We choose happiness. We choose peace. And, and so that having that fundamental view, I mean, we, which is easy to say, of course, um, but it's because, uh, yeah, it's because we complicate things. That uh, we miss that, and uh, you know, we get caught up in our in our own complications. We get caught up in the complications of the world around us, uh, and uh, yeah, it's difficult to sort things out. But that returning to the uh, this eightfold path, uh, that returning to this. Uh, yeah, commitment to putting a training around our life and uh, reflecting from that point. Uh, it isn't as if it's uh, we put a training around ourselves and we whip ourselves into shape. 
is putting a training around ourselves and reflect on what is taking place, what's happening. Um, yeah? What would the Buddha say, or what would you say, regarding uh, the climate change and the whole thing that's happening to the Earth that the scientists are saying is happening? How would the Buddha... He would say that is suffering. Personally? Well, you live in a way that, that, that takes responsibility for your actions. I mean, the question is around, around what would the Buddha say around uh, climate change. And, and the Buddha was, was not... Uh, he didn't live apart from the world in the sense of um, uh, disregarding uh, the, the world, uh, disregarding the, uh, the circumstances within the world. And and uh, and certainly the uh, say the path of practice and the example that he set up uh, is one of uh, yeah, understanding how both we personally create suffering and how we collectively create suffering, uh, so that uh, being able to. Recognize that, and then being able to, and that's all around the the whole aspects of relinquishment and and uh, uh, being able to actually let go of the things that do create suffering, uh, because that's uh, uh, you know so much of the uh, say the problems are uh, you know, say within the world or within society. Uh, um, if you can even agree on, get people to agree on the fact that there is a problem, uh, then you still have still a big stretch to actually get them to do something, to actually relinquish, to change. Um, but uh, you know, I think for uh, within the, the the context of of Buddhist practice, then there's a, a strong uh, I mean, encouragement, admonishment to to take responsibility. There's another aspect of of uh, when we think of right view. Again, I mean, I spoke about it in terms of experience. Uh, another aspect of right view is is uh, a bit more fundamental, and that's uh, right view in terms of cause and effect, that all things arise from a cause. And if one's going to do something, uh, effect change, uh, one has to pay attention to those uh, causes and uh, to put the appropriate causes into place that are going to be uh, conducive to... to, uh, uh, yeah, the experience of of, of well-being, of peace, of and it's not just a uh, uh, say on an emotional level. It's on a the level of of uh, uh, how we live together as a as a culture and society. So the uh, these aspects of of you know, right view uh, it's so important to be able to to pay attention, to be able to um, bring back 
uh, our attention to the the uh, the ex- experiential level. Uh, otherwise, it's it it tends to uh, be you know, just a uh, a nice theory uh, or a nice sort of you know philosophical discussion, uh, which uh, doesn't actually change ourselves or others. One of the uh, um, images that the Buddha uses is a uh, an image of. Uh, I'll just read it. This is from in some the Connected Discourses forty forty five Sutta number number nine. And it says. Suppose a spike of rice or a spike of barley were rightly directed and were pressed upon the hand or the foot. That it could pierce the hand or the foot and draw blood, this is possible. For what reason? Because the spike is rightly directed. So too bhikkhus, that a bhikkhu with a rightly directed view, with a rightly directed development of the path, could pierce ignorance, arouse true knowledge, and realize Nibbāna. This is possible. For what reason? Because his view is rightly directed. And that's... I think the image is really helpful because normally uh, just a bit of bit of grass or a bit of, of um, uh, a stalk of, of, of rice or whatever, of wheat, um, it wouldn't... It might hurt a little bit, but it wouldn't, uh, it wouldn't draw blood. It wouldn't pierce the skin. Um, but if we get it just in a in a particular way, it can do that. It's possible. Um, and similarly, um, yeah, our views, our thoughts, our perspectives, our the way that we we uh, relate to the world. Generally, it's a bit too diffuse and too too kind of scattered uh, <clears throat> to really. Make a crack in that fundamental, uh, yeah, wrong understanding or ignorance, n- n- lack of understanding of the true nature of things. But it is possible if one, uh, um, say, with that rightly directed view or rightly di- uh, directed development of the of the path of practice. Uh, this is possible. It's possible to do it, and I think that's the. Uh, um, there's times when the Buddha uh, sp- sp- speaks very kind of overtly in the sense of, of uh, um, you know, this path of freedom is possible. If it weren't possible, I wouldn't teach it. And that's just sort of that 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 uh, that very clear statement. <laughs> We can all do this. It's possible. It's not. It's not impossible. It's not just limited to uh, some celestial being somewhere. But when these factors of the, the of the path uh, are rightly cultivated, rightly developed, they produce results. It's it's in its very nature. In the same way that. You know, if one's thirsty and one drink, one one drinks water, it quenches the thirst. It's just that's its nature. It'll do that. Uh, in the same way that when we 
we, we cultivate and, and practice this path, uh, it brings results. Uh, uh, so that the Buddha being quite, quite, uh, yeah, quite, quite emphatic on that. The Buddha also gives an image as of uh, this is uh, from the same uh, collection, Sutta number twenty-seven. Saying, just as a pot without a stand is easily knocked over, while one with a stand is difficult to knock over, so the mind without a stand is easily knocked over, while the mind with a stand is difficult to knock over. And what bhikkhus is the stand of the mind? It's this noble eightfold path. This is this is this is what uh, this is the stand of the mind. Sort of this path of practice, this path of training, uh, laying those foundations for ourselves, uh, so that we're we're you know, we're able to have a a firm foundation to keep returning to. And um, no, I think one of the one of the things that we we always need to uh, remind ourselves is that that the uh, you know there's natural um, natural progressions uh, on the path. I mean, sometimes things go smoothly, sometimes they don't. Sometimes there are obstacles that we have to deal with. Sometimes there's uh, difficulties that we have to overcome, and that's. That's natural. That's that's ordinary. Um, but we can, um, you know, we can we can develop these different factors, and it gives us a, a foundation for for growing in the in the, in the uh, in this practice. There's a, a another discourse actually the uh, that those connected discourses on the path. Sangutta 45, the very first uh, discourse that the Buddha uh, gives in that section, uh, he talks about uh, um, true knowledge uh, being the forerunner. He said, because true knowledge is the forerunner in the entry upon wholesome states. So that that uh, you know, paying attention to again right view, uh, getting that sense of uh, the experiential basis of 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 our of our perspectives, uh, and and true knowledge isn't as if it's you know something so distant and and uh, uh, oftentimes when the Buddha defines wisdom or de- defines discernment, uh, it's knowledge of the arising and passing away of phenomena it's not it's it's not something that isn't accessible to everybody uh, uh, the uh, that not that just being able to recognize that yeah impermanent in uh, inconstant uh, changing nature of whatever internal or external phenomena there are that's its nature um, Seeing how things uh, uh, are, um, you know, they have that 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 changing nature. They have that nature to 
but we can't actually own them or control them. They're going to go according to their own uh, conditions. And it's not, uh, it's not as if we can impose our will uh, on, on, on the world and make it follow our, our preferences. It just doesn't work that way. Um, but then, so that true knowledge, uh, is the forerunner in the entry upon wholesome states, uh, with a, an, I'll use the Pali with this, <coughs> the scriptural language, with Hiri and Otapat following along. And Hiri and Otapat are really difficult words to translate because of our, um, our background. Because it's, it's, I mean, it has, Bhikkhu Bodhi has translated it, uh, sense of shame and fear of wrongdoing. And, uh, that, uh, uh, has a, uh, I mean, it sounds a very moralistic kind of, uh, feeling to it. But, uh, when, what, what, how the Buddha describes those two qualities, uh, are the and Otapa, he calls, are the protectors of the world. And what it means is that with a, a sense of uh, the quality of hearing is sort of a sense of uh, a, a, a feeling of shrinking internally, shrinking back from something that is one wouldn't feel delighted about or you know feel good about. Uh, so this sense, uh, in, in translation, it's a sense of shame. But what it is is, is a a sense of yeah, of shrinking back from from things that that are unskillful, inappropriate, uh, and uh, the reason why one does that is because one respects oneself. Sort of like, oh, this is really not something that I want to encourage in myself. So that out of that self-respect. One holds back, and then otapa is a, a fear of wrongdoing, but it's based on a respect for others, because one wouldn't want to do something that to somebody else. Uh, one shrinks back. One holds back from that. So that uh, you have to go into these long explanations sometimes about, but they're basic concepts uh, in 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 the Buddhist teachings, and they lay the foundation. When you think of a right view, uh, well, a right view is, is what allows us to have both a, a self-respect and a respect for others, which is fundamental. And, and that, there's an incredible amount of well-being and happiness when we, when we begin from that point, rather than trying to disentangle a whole lot of complicated uh, personal issues down the line. Uh, so that, that those are, to me, that when we speak of the path, uh, those are, are, are kind of like f- coming back to those, the, the, the bedrock or the ground that arises out of. So that, that rising out of that, that yeah, fundamental kind of, yeah, self-respect, uh, and, and respect for others, and, and, and then a respect for, say, the nature of Cause and effect. Yeah, that's how it works. Uh, these, uh, when certain co- conditions are rolling along, there's going to be an effect. And it's just the way things work.
So then, true knowledge is the forerunner in the entry upon wholesome states with a sense of shame and fear of wrongdoing following along. For a wise person who has arrived at true knowledge, right view springs up. For one of right view, right intention springs up. For one of right intention, right speech springs up. So and so on. Sort of like with these, those seeds of 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 skillfulness, then the different factors of the path are quite natural. It's sort of like. Um, when the mind becomes uh, clear or becomes happy, why would we not want to be peaceful? <laughs> it's sort of like, uh, it's, 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 this is natural. Uh, so that why would we not want to uh, uh, be kind to each other? These are just sort of natural uh, results. So that in terms of the, the path, uh, one pays attention to these these uh, these aspects of of uh, 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 experience, and uh, and the path leads one leads one on. It, it nourishes and provides the kind of these wholesome roots for us to grow grow in. Um, the Buddha gives an image of the. Uh, the river Ganges, it's just um, the river. Of course, that's the biggest river in in Middle India. And the the river Ganges, it slants, it slopes, it inclines towards the east. It's just that's where it goes. That's what it does. Um, and but then he says, so too, one who develops and cultivates the noble eightfold path slants, slopes, inclines toward Nibbana. It's just. It's what happens. It's what, it's what it does. It takes you to, to a place of, of freedom from suffering. So that's enough theory for now. 